I wonder if sometimes people who make a decision for Jesus Christ come to a point where they say, I didn't sign up for this. Jesus said these famous words, John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some people would interpret that passage like Joel Olstein interprets that passage. He says, God has done everything he's going to do. The ball is now in your court. If you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want prosperity and health, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. The suggestion of these folks that look at the full life that Christ is offering is that his children, God's children, children of the king, are supposed to be, to use the old adage, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that Christ came to create the conditions for each of his kids to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I want to suggest to you that this interpretation is profoundly wrong and out of step with the breadth of Scripture. I suppose it's one of the more egregious interpretations, <laughs> but I think that there's also sort of less sort of in-your-face interpretations that are just as faulty. And that is the idea that we come to Jesus, we choose Jesus because he's going to make our lives good. Things are going to go well. You're going to be happy all the time. You won't have any trouble. He'll take care of it. That just doesn't stand up when you read scripture at all. And I know that as we look at our scripture for today, it wasn't Paul and Barnabas. Uh, it's, it wasn't their experience as we read the travels that they were having around the Mediterranean. Um, and I don't think it was what they signed up for either. I think they had a better idea of what the gospel of Jesus Christ or the full life that Jesus offers is really all about. I want to read uh, from Acts 14, verses 21 to 28, as we kind of conclude now before Advent. Next week is the beginning of Advent, so we'll take a pause of about four weeks from Acts. But I want us to take a look at Acts 14, 21 to 28. It's kind of actually a nice time to sort of draw to a close our look at Acts for, for a little bit. I need to remind you uh, that Paul and Barnabas were in Turkey and uh, going amongst different towns, and they would always go to the, the synagogue or where the Jews would, would uh, worship God. And uh, it's there that they would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would teach about Jesus and why he came. And uh, the 
the, their past experience uh, in Lystra was, was not a good one. Uh, we read actually just a little bit earlier than the 21st verse. We'll start in uh, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch. This is when they were in Lystra and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after that, the disciples had gathered around him. He got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. So in Lystra, even though there were many people that came to put their faith in Jesus Christ, they signed up, as it were. Um, Paul was stoned to the point that the people thought he was dead and dragged out of town. And so we pick up the story now they're in in Derbe, um, and this is what it says. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. A whole bunch of people signed up. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. And please note these words. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Just, just imagine <laughs> that these people in Lystra had, had signed up for the gospel, for the full life that Jesus Christ would offer. And they signed up, and then at the conclusion of having signed on to this truth, um, the very messenger who brought this good news to them is stoned, which they thought was to death. That would be quite <laughs> challenging, wouldn't it be? Hmm, what have I signed up for? Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church that they visited with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. Uh, from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles or the non-Jews. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This morning, I really want us to consider what we've signed up for. What have you signed up for when you decided to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Obviously, there's a contrast between what Mr. Olstein teaches, that you can, when you sign up to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you signed up to be a, a kingdom kid, and you're, you're going to have, you have the opportunity to become wealthy, you have the opportunity to become healthy, you have the wealth, opportunity to be prosperous, um, and to really basically have life by the tail. There's that gospel, and then there's the gospel that Paul and Barnabas and the followers in Leicester and Derby and Iconium and, and these places in that first generation of Christians were experiencing. So what is the full life that Jesus promised? Is it health? Is that the full life? Is it wealth? Is it success? Is it comfort? Is it independence? Is it a, is it a, a, a stellar reputation? Uh, the opportunity to really influence things? Is it security? 
Or is it quite different than that? Let's take a look at Jesus' words. When he was with his disciples, he said this, In this world, you will have trouble. He also said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Those words don't seem to be in sync with the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the gospel of you name it and then you claim it. It seems to be quite a different course. That we deny ourselves, we pick up a cross, which means that we are constantly on a path of self-denial. Once again, Paul said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. In another instance, Paul said this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now please note this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What do you think Paul meant by momentary? I'm of the conviction that he meant your 85-year life span is momentary and is full of hardship and difficulty. The light and momentary troubles. Why do I believe that? Because he says, you get an eternity of blessings after you've spent your 85 years with your troubles. See, these light and momentary troubles are just pale in comparison to the Christian's perspective on life, which, which, which basically this is our moment of decision. But life is eternal. What happens right now in our lives is super significant, tremendously significant. However, it is momentary. And it would and could achieve for us an eternal glory. Jesus said, in fact, that the gate that leads to the full life is a very narrow gate. It's difficult to enter. It's not like a thoroughfare for those who want the comfortable and good life. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It seems natural for us to want the full life to be a life of ease and creature comforts and just a life that is without trouble and difficulty. But if that's the case, why is the gate to the full life so narrow? Well, it's so narrow because there's a cost that has to be counted. It's so important that we understand this because, you know, if we sign up for that false gospel of coming to Jesus, 
so that he can make my life good. He can sort of iron out all the problems. He can make things right. That's why I'm coming to Jesus. If we come to Jesus based on that false gospel, it's very, very possible. I would say inevitable that you will be disappointed. I believe that's what Jesus was talking about in that parable where he talked about the sower and throwing out seed and, and someone on on the path and the birds came and picked it up, didn't take root at all. Some went out on some rocky soil. He says this, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to somebody who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Oh good, Jesus is going to make my life great. This is awesome. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. Now listen to that. When trouble or persecution comes, I didn't sign up for that. But when trouble comes, but when, like it's inevitable, right? When trouble comes and persecution comes because of the word, because of the gospel, they quickly fall away. You see, if, if, we, if we come to Christ under that false pretense that he is going to make our life all right, we'll be disappointed because we're going to face the reality that the good shepherd leads us into the dark valley, the valley of death. If he's leading us there, he's not leading us there just to sort of dwell there, is he? He's leading us there because he's got something else on the other side. But that doesn't negate the fact that he leads us through that dark valley. Jesus was very clear. When he presented what it takes to enter the kingdom of God that he was ushering in, he said, you've got to count the cost. Luke 14, we read these words. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and, and turning to them, and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Oh, that doesn't sound like the good shepherd. What's he mean there? Well, obviously he doesn't mean hate, because when you look at the breadth of Scripture, he talks about we need to love everybody, especially our, our parents and our our family, we're definitely going to be loving them, and, and that's what God wants us to do. So he must mean something else. And what does he mean? Well, he basically means there that, that he is number one, and then your family is number two. Many Christians can't accept that. They'll accept Christianity, and they'll accept, uh, you know, the gospel, but they won't accept that their family comes second to Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's talking about. It's basically saying, you know, if you're going to follow me, he's, on another instance, there was a disciple or a fellow who, who said, well, I'm not, uh, I can't come with you right now. I've got to go bury my dad. And Jesus said, well, let the dead, <laughs> let, let somebody else take care of that. This is more important. You see how hard it is? You see how narrow that gate is? 
To accept the teachings of Jesus Christ is not easy. It's challenging. It's a narrow gate to experience the full life. So anyways, I'll, I'll just continue. And whoever does not carry their cross, in other words, you know, to die daily to themselves, uh, cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, he said. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay down the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish it. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give everything you have cannot be my disciples. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000? I already read that. Cut that up. So he said, you need to consider the cost. And so when you're considering the gospel, you better consider the correct gospel, the true gospel, because there's a lot of false gospels out there. One of them is the prosperity gospel. One of them is the Name it and claim it, gospel. So having said this, why would anyone choose to sign up <laughs> to follow Jesus? Well, this is an important point. And I, we need to be really clear about this. Most importantly, we sign up to right or wrong. We sign up to right or wrong. It's got nothing to do with whether you're going to get this or that or anyone. It's got to do with the fact that in our sins, we have transgressed against a holy God. We have rebelled against a holy God. This is his world. We are his creatures, and we have rejected him. That is the wrong. And in righting that wrong, the only way we can right that wrong is to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And it starts with one thing, repentance. We have to repent of our sin. It's not sitting there counting the costs about, you know, well, you know, I know if I go to church, I'm not going to be able to golf on Sunday mornings or... Uh, on the other hand, you know, if I, if I um, sign up to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose friends because I can't go to this or that with them because, you know, it wouldn't look good. That's, that's got nothing really to do with it. What it is, when we choose to follow Jesus Christ, we basically say, I'm sorry. I have rebelled against you, God. You are God, and I am not God. I am a creature. You created me. And I want to put my life in line with the fact that you're my creator and I'm your creation. And I repent of my sin. That's the first and most important reason why we come to Jesus Christ. We never hear that very much. 
we, we usually talk about, come to Jesus. He's going to, you know, make you feel better, and he'll help you with your problems, and he's going to, you know, get you all fixed up, and I'm going to, I'm going to. That is so self-centered and so wrong. We come to Jesus because we have offended him. We come to Jesus and repent and ask for forgiveness for thinking that, having the audacity to think that we could say to God, sorry, I'm going to run my own life. It starts with repentance. But there are benefits for us. I don't want to overemphasize them, though. Because I don't want to be wrong-headed about it. Even, you know, you can be wrong-headed about, you know, coming to Christ for the blessings, even if they're not tangible blessings. But when we do this, when we get life in order, when we right the wrong uh, through God's gift of salvation, through Jesus Christ, when we do that, we are the benefactors. Because when we're in right relationship, all kinds of awesome things come our way. One is we have peace with God. We have purpose. We kind of get it now. We understand what, we're, what we are, who we are, and what we're doing. We, we get divine guidance from God. There's, there's comfort and love. There's, there's freedom. There's a beautiful community of other believers. There's power that we have. To, to, to overcome those difficulties, not in the sense of beating down difficulties, but being able to cope with and, and be triumphant through the difficulties. And there's just this incredible blessed assurance that things are right between us and God and that our eternity will be with him. We will spend eternity with the author of all that is good and right and pure beautiful and wonderful versus spending eternity with the author of all that is vile and evil, disgusting, violent, nasty. You see, Paul wrote, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, health, wealth, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is just temporary. 85 years, let's say. But what is unseen is eternal. The Christians in Leicester needed encouragement. Paul went there to encourage them because you need encouragement as a fellow believer in Jesus Christ. Paul had been stoned and cast away for dead because he promoted the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When they considered the cost, they weren't signing up for the good life. They were signing up to get things right with God. They chose to follow in Paul's footsteps and risk everything for the full life offered by Jesus. Today the cost has been spuriously morphed into a life, a lie I should say, 
If you come to Jesus, your life can be good, comfortable, even prosperous. If you just have faith, he's, he came to make all the conditions right for you to be victorious. The truth is that when we count the cost, we actually decide between an eternity full of spiritual contentment and peace that actually begins in this life. That's the one option when you're counting the cost. <clears throat> the other option is signing up for 85 plus years of, let's be honest, futility in trying to possess contentment and peace through temporal, corruptible, finite, tangible treasures. And sadly, an eternity of despair and regret that we made the wrong choice. Ever since the first church, people have been actually willing to die for the true gospel. And sadly, and totally unintentionally, many have died pursuing a lie. And so what did you sign up for? Is it a gospel of truth or is it a gospel that is a lie? Paul went back to Lystra to give them encouragement, but he didn't candy coat it. He didn't say, Okay, I know I was stoned and all that stuff, but you know, that's an exception. I'm an apostle. I, I should expect that. But you guys, you're good. Everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be perfect for you guys. You've got nothing to worry about. God is, you know, just, just name it and claim it. Just, you know, ask God and he'll make you successful and wealthy and healthy and give you all that you need. Is that what he went back to say? No, he said, actually, you're going to have a lot of trouble you know, there's a lot of difficulty in entering the kingdom of God. It's a narrow door. Um, but it is the truth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that Paul went back to Lystra. <laughs> Could have avoided it. It's a dangerous place for him. But he went back there and he went back to encourage the Christians. Thank you, Lord, that he went back and encouraged them, told them you made the right decision. And even though you'll have difficulties in this life, these are light and temporary and momentary struggles compared to the glory that they would experience or will experience. Help us to have that mindset. Help us, Lord, to not seek after self-indulgence, but to be fully invested in you and your path, the path of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, folks. Great to have you all.